0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's, *His people Hannah Overton on her amazing story of being exonerated of all charges after serving seven years in prison.
1: People will often say that I am strong and that my family is strong. Um, We are not strong, God is strong, we are weak, and in his hands he carried us through this, you know, and um, he not only carried us through this, but he used it for his glory.
0: Hannah Overton, next. It's a tragic story, mother convicted of murder in the death of her adopted son and being removed from her children while being imprisoned for seven years. It's also a story of how God sustained Hannah Overton and her family during those years prior to her exoneration. Since being released, Hannah has begun and operates Cindeo Ministries, which is focused on helping women who are incarcerated and transitioning out of prison, as well as women who've suffered abuse and mistreatment. Their mission is based on Hebrews 13.3, where it says, Remember those who are in bonds, as bound with them. Hannah, take us back to the fall of 2006, when this very painful chapter of your life began.
1: Yes, so my husband and I were working in youth ministry at a Calvary Chapel. So Sundayo Ministries is affiliated with Calvary Chapel, and we do have also a Calvary Chapel church here in Palestine that my husband pastors. And... Um, but we were in youth pastors or in youth ministry at the calvary chapel there and we fell in love with the little boy at our church um we had considered adopting before we even got married but we always thought it was something we would do when our kids got older and um we had four kids and i was pregnant with number five and they were all under the age of seven at the mm. time <laughs> and um wow. we fell in love with this little boy that was in class with my three and four-year-old daughters and um, his foster mom used to drop him off at the church and um, kind of let him get babysat by the church because she'd pick him up, you know, drop him off when the doors open, pick him up when we were all done with our second service. And we all just fell in love with him. And... um we also were able to, like my kids, my daughters that were in class with him, they heard him praying for a forever family. Every Mm. time they do prayer requests, he would pray for forever family. So they came home and they asked, why can't we be his forever family? And we started thinking about it and praying about it. And we felt like God was really opening the doors for that, which he did. I mean, within a month of us deciding this was what we wanted to pursue we were able to go jump through a lot of hoops with the state of texas to be able to um, begin adoption classes and and work towards that adoption and on mother's day of 2006 andrew moved into our home and five and a half short months later our world crumbled when the newest member of our family went home to be with jesus um, he died of a very rare medical condition called hypernatremia it's too much sodium in his body there were a lot of things a lot of factors that had to do with that and his medical records had not been given to us and um, so we did not know that he had it had these issues so when um, when we took him to the hospital I I was in, very shortly after my husband and I were both taken to interrogations began because they could not figure out. He died 30 hours later after the hospital had given him multiple shots of sodium bicarb. So extra sodium in his body trying to revive him. And then they found that his sodium levels were sky high and they, um, I was accused of force feeding him 23 tablespoons of Zatarain seasoning. So they we're looking for salt in my house and there wasn't a salt shaker so or like a big salt thing they're like mm-hmm. just a little salt it's a so zatrin seasoning was the only thing they could find that would there could be enough of to do this so that's where that came from and the theory was that i would put 23 tablespoons of zatrin seasoning in a sippy cup and force fed it to my four-year-old son it's not really even possible um if you put 23 tablespoons of zatarain seasoning in a sippy cup it will not come out of the sippy cup because it's too thick
0: yeah. um, right
1: but that was the theory and um also i don't know if you have kids force feeding 23 tablespoons of zatarain seasoning to a four-year-old <laughs> i don't know how you do that but anyway yeah. um that was the theory and i was then convicted of that, uh, well, not of that theory, but I was convicted of capital murder. That was the theory that was presented to the jury. The jury did not buy that I had forcefully fed him anything, but they did convict me of that because they did not have a, a an option for anything else. And the conviction was that I had maybe taken too long to go to the hospital. Mm. um Well, so even that, in the, the doctors that were supposed to be Able to explain that to them, we're not allowed on the stand because of the, the, some things the state was doing, and um, the jury was not able to understand that it looked like a normal flu until the very last minute, whenever we rushed him to the hospital.
0: So you were you were convicted of capital murder uh I'm sure that it, uh, you were you were in obviously in, in shock uh you in fact I think I read somewhere that on the day of the sentencing you you kind of figured you you'd be found innocent
1: Oh I completely thought I'd be found innocent I was um i had been raised a missionary kid i had um watched god step in and save the day many many times at the last minute you know i'd seen checks come in for things that needed to be paid for or whatever and i expected god to be my knight in sharing armor on my terms and that was the problem (laughs) you know on my terms his his ways are not our ways his timing is not our timing right and you know i totally expected that i would be proven innocent i also had trust in the justice system you know and i thought once i was able to explain what happened there would be you know it would all be done fairly and everything would be okay and i would be proven innocent so between those two things i never ever thought i would be convicted
0: mm. well my guest is hannah overton and she is the founder of Sindeo ministries it's an outreach to uh, well, really, to women in prison in Texas prisons, is that correct, Hannah? Yes. A- and uh, Hannah, uh, in 2006, was uh, as she, you just heard her explain, uh, wrongly accused, convicted, and imprisoned uh, for the death of her uh, adopted son. So you spent seven years in prison. Impossible to cover all that happened. But what about that experience? do you want us to know what stands out in your mind as particularly important for for you to want the, the listener to to understand
1: well people often ask me if i you know how i trusted god when he didn't step in and save the day when i expected him to mm-hmm. and the answer is i'm not perfect i t- definitely wavered i remember telling my pastor i know god is god and I know he's sovereign, you know, I never doubted that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I did not understand how he could love me and let this happen to me and my family. And I, there was a time when I was in the first five and a half months I spent in solitary confinement, mm. because of the media surrounding my case, and they were concerned for my safety. So during that five and a half months, I, I was so depressed, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, I was just crying all day long, I, you know, I my daughter was seven months old and I was still nursing her whenever I was convicted. So um, I was just, you know, in horrible desperation right before God. And I remember tell like getting really mad at him and throwing a fit, the biggest fit I've ever thrown in my life that I can remember telling God it's this isn't fair. You know, um, my kids need me. My husband needs me. I, you know, I'm innocent that, you know, we already lost our my son and my kid's brother. And how could you allow this to happen. And I was facing life without parole, you know, no possibility of parole unless, you know, I was able to prove my innocence. And attorneys had told me that uh, on average, it takes 20 years in the United States for someone to prove their innocence if they've been wrongfully convicted. Mm. And I know that's true now because as an, you know, after I've been exonerated and I've got, I go to these innocence network conferences. And I'm the baby because most of these people have spent 20, 30, sometimes 40 years in prison before proving their innocence.
0: Wrongly convicted yeah. and in prison. Wrongly,
1: wrongly convicted. Yes. And so that that's the average is at least 20 years. I was you know throwing a fit and you know i remember i wore myself out i was telling god how unfair this was and the last thing that i said after you know crying and throwing things around myself was i can't even see the flowers and the birds you know i'd like run out of things to complain about at that moment and i said that and i went to sleep well you know my god is so good because even though i'm throwing a little fit like a little kid He's still full of grace and love. And my friend woke up with this intense desire to buy me flowers and she woke up her husband and tells him and he's like, you need to go back to sleep. And she's like, no, no, I think God wants me to do this. He, He said, she's in the county jail. You can't buy her flowers. They won't give them to her. Go back to sleep. And after a bit of an argument uh they she finally got up and went and bought flowers and you know went to the county jail and said okay god what am i supposed to do with these and um they put them on uh, she put them on the no parking sign and um Mm. she did not know this but they had just moved me to the cell where the only thing i could see out my window was this no parking sign because my church was holding worship services outside of the jail and they were didn't like that but and so they were trying to get them to stop doing it. <laughs> so they thought if they, I couldn't see them, maybe they'd stop. And <laughs> um, so, but when I woke up that morning, I saw flowers. God, you know, oh, God heard my cry and gave me flowers. And when I tell that story now, it makes me want to cry. But then I was still in, you know, not in that place emotionally. And I, I was like, God, that's not funny. These, you know, I, I need my kids. I don't need flowers. Mm-hmm. You know? And then he still had grace with me. Shortly after that, I was um, transferred to the maximum security prison where I would spend the next seven years. And when I got there, at the very at, there was a rock in front of the um, dorm where I would be housed. And it had a picture of a hummingbird on it. And I remember seeing that picture of the hummingbird and just like shaking my head and telling god now that's really not funny that's not even a real bird and i'm in real prison now never again and never before had i heard such an audible voice from god but i really felt like I, like i heard an audible voice from god saying but you're like that hummingbird hmm. And I was like, what did that mean? So in, in Corinthians, it's a place that says, you know, in my, in your weakness, I am made strong, but I, Mm -hmm. he gave me that scripture also. And after a few months of healing and really, you know, coming to a place where I was, you know, ready to hear from God again, I really be, I began to figure out, okay, what does that mean? What is a hummingbird like? And, um, I. I looked into that and hummingbirds are very fragile creatures that if you just close, them, close your hand around a hummingbird, it'll break all its bones. And that what he was telling me is that he had a purpose for me and a purpose for this in his hands. And even though I felt weak and I felt like I could be crushed at any moment, scared to death in this prison, I had been very raised a missionary kid, homeschooled, very uh, you know, stupid was a bad word in my house growing up. And then I was in a maximum security prison. I was completely scared, but God had a plan, and I I began to see that come forth.
0: And so many things to cover, Hannah, and I know we can't talk about everything, but at some point, you, I don't know how long you had been in prison, but you started a little Bible study, and it grew.
1: Yeah, so within about six months of getting into the the maximum security prison as I began to see understand this from God that I had a purpose I also began to see that um the women around me some of them only had like five year sentences but they had no hope Mm. like I had a hope that they didn't have even though I was facing life without parole I had a hope that they didn't have and that and I began to want to share that hope with them and so I started doing a bible study that started with just two women and then next, next thing I knew there were three women and then four women and then um, six women. And I got in trouble because you're not supposed to meet with more than four people at a time. It's considered inciting a riot. <laughs> so I had to do, <laughs> to do a Bible study, but so I had to do different Bible studies with different people. And then before you knew it, I was doing Bible studies every night. And then the ladies that I would do Bible studies with would do, a, do the same study again with another group of people. And um, I was able to just watch that grow. And before I left, there were 100 ladies doing the study, which has now grown, like I said, to close to 1,000.
0: And is it still going on in that, in that yes, same place? Yes, it person? is. It that's is.
1: The same, yeah. So that's the same study that I was saying earlier that there's over 1,000 or close to 1,000 women going to doing right now.
0: And Hannah, I think you you talked about this a little bit, but uh, t- to what extent did people reach out to you while you were in prison? I mean, whether in your church or or someone else?
1: Yeah, so my church was amazing. You know, I think all all churches should be like this, but it's very, very hard to find churches that are like this. You know, often in church, it's hard to find enough people to do a meal thing for when someone has a baby, right? Mm-hmm. But my church family, you know, by the grace of God, they completely surrounded our family. They homeschooled my kids for me while I was gone. They helped my husband with, with gas money to come see me every weekend. They um, gave, brought meals on Wednesday nights so that my husband could continue doing youth ministry. They had uh, our different people had our family over to eat all the time so that he hardly ever had to cook. I mean, there was just like, they Mm -hmm. completely stepped in and, my kids were raised by a village and my church family just 100 percent took care of not only my family while i was gone but continued to write me and help me be involved in my kids lives. let me plan what they were going to do on fridays and things like that so it was just really cool because they were amazing
0: well as you've explained you were convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and then in 2014, your conviction was overturned, and you were completely exonerated or declared innocent of those charges. I mean, it's a gigantic question, but how did that happen?
1: So um, after seven years, which was, this is a miracle, but God just opened the doors for my innocence to be proven. There was, um, the prosecutor in my case had hidden evidence. I kept saying all along that I didn't force feed him anything, and um I had I knew he had thrown up at one of the hospitals and I was asking for this vomit because I thought that it would prove my innocence. And she had it. Not only did she have it, she had had it tested and then she had hidden it in a back room in a brown paper sack. And um, it Mm. proved that his sodium levels in his stomach were low. So obviously he wasn't force fed anything. And um, so that was one of the things. There were multiple things that led to my conviction being overturned, but that was probably the biggest thing. And uh, I don't know if we have time for all the other stuff, but anyway, that in the long run, I was proved innocent. And um, I was let out in December of 2014, right, uh, right before Christmas. Yeah. So I was able to spend Christmas with my family and um, it did take, until 2017, for me to be declared actually innocent, that was a process. It always is. It's a lot of paperwork and it's a big process. But I was, you know, eventually declared actually innocent, and um, God just, you know, took each one of those things and He, you know, He carried my family. He carried me through this. People often say that I'm strong and that my family is strong. Um, we are not strong. God is strong, we are weak, and in His hands He carried us through this, you know, and um, He not only carried us through this, but He used it for His glory.
0: And, And of course, I mean, obviously, your church, many, many people were praying for you and your family. Yes.
1: So all over the United States, I had people, Oh, actually I had people from all over the world sending me letters. Um, So it was kind of interesting. I was, uh, I wrote a letter to my pastor, the very first, like while I was still in the county jail, I'd been there like, I don't know, a a week or something. Mm. And he said, he read it to the whole church. I was kind of embarrassed because I was very personal in it, but he read it to the whole church. Mm. And then from then on, he continued to read all my letters. So I started writing my letter, writing letters once a month for the church, (laughs) (laughs) so that I could write other letters that were (laughs) there. But those letters that I was writing that were, you know, just explaining what God was doing and how God was speaking to me and carrying me through it and, you know, what the different miracles I was seeing him do in the prison and stuff like that. um, It started out just being my church and then there were other churches that got involved and it. Then before I knew it, there were like thousands of churches that were getting this email with my letters and reading them or having them available to their churches. And we are making a book of these letters. We have not completed that. Um, Life is busy, especially with all the, the ministry stuff. But that is something we will eventually have done. Um, but as people read those letters, people would write me, and I I, I got a lot of mail, which was really neat um, because there was a lot of women who don't, and I was able to share things with them. I would get letters that were just just had scriptures on them, and just said, you know, I want you to know that God cares about you, or whatever, you know, that would to encourage me. But I would just hand them on to other people to encourage them, and I watched it stop people people from committing suicide.
0: Hannah, uh, Hannah Overton is my guest, and she's the founder of Sendeo Ministries, and she's talking about her, really, the only word I can think of is an odyssey from being uh, wrongly accused to wrongly convicted, seven years in prison, and then being completely exonerated of murder. And Hannah, you uh, some people are going to be wondering, you you were you won a judgment? Is that fair to say you were, at least to some extent, I mean, there's no way you can compensate for the loss of seven years of your life. But the state of Texas had to compensate you yeah. to some extent. So the,
1: state, the state of Texas did give me some compensation. I was able to um, build a house with the compensation, and we built like a multi-purpose room for the ministry that we where we do our classes at.
0: Did you continue homeschooling when you got out? I
1: did. I did. Um, I, I had only been home a couple of weeks when my One of my older kids who remembered me homeschooling was uh, they were all homeschooled the whole time I was gone, but the older ones were going to a Mm co-op and uh, two days a week. And she was like, I don't want to go anymore. (laughs) I want to be homeschooled all the time. And so I took her because she she was asking for it right then. I took her out of the co-op and I began just homeschooling her all the time. The other women that were homeschooling my kids while I was gone, they continued to help me through the first semester while I was transitioning to come home and stuff. And then um, after that, I took over and I homeschooled all my kids. And I do have another child since I came home, and I'm homeschooling her as well.
0: And so how many total children do you have now?
1: Um, well, Andrew's in heaven, but there's six living.
0: No, th- th- I know this is a difficult question to answer. In your own opinion, do you believe there are many other uh, m- others like you? I mean, men or women, but I'm thinking particularly of women who are wrongly Im- imprisoned this Definitely. time?
1: Definitely Definitely. So statistics say that on death row alone, that one out of 10 people on death row are innocent. Mm. And that's really scary because people, they're getting killed. And uh, I know that in there, in my experience in there, there were so many people that I believe were innocent, and if not innocent, completely innocent of the charge they were convicted of. Like, there's a lot of people that are, you know, they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, they didn't even know what was going on, and they were, you know, swept up in the and convicted of a crime that they didn't even know was going to happen, and weren't a part of, or there were a lot of people who were, um, actually, this is another statistics, like 96% of the women in Texas prisons are there, this is the state statistic, this isn't my thing, but are, are there due to some sort of abuse by a man so they're either you know feel scared to say no or they finally fight back and then there's some sort of you know crime committed
0: well Hannah how did these years in prison if it's, if it's possible to say how did they change you
1: well I do have PTSD mm. um, so I do struggle with you know nightmares and things like that and at first I was really frustrated by that because I felt like you know, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that I should come out not smelling like smoke. Mm -hmm. Um, But God, you know, God taught me a lot. And God told me through that, he said, first of all, that, you know, I wouldn't be able to do the ministry that I do today with these women coming out of prison if I didn't understand what they're going through. And second of all, that the Bible never says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego liked roasting marshmallows or you know, we're not scared of the King or anything like that. It When it says that they didn't smell like smoke, what it was talking about is that they smelled like the aroma of Christ because the end result was that people got saved. And um, so I began to realize that, you know, I, I have things that have changed, you know, I have anxiety, I have nightmares, I have things that have changed about me, but that's, you know, God has allowed that for a purpose. And I, and, you know, trusting him with that purpose. And then, um, you know, all of us have changed. My my husband, my kids, you know, there's lots of different things. That, I mean, we all went through a lot and we've all changed. But God has has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And he has protected us even in the midst of that. But like I said, the ministry that we do for the, with these women coming out, if I, if we didn't understand it, we wouldn't be able to do it.
0: Well, Hannah Overton is my guest and the founder of Sandeo Ministries. How can people pray for for you, for your family, for Sandeo Ministries as we come close to wrapping it up?
1: So um, mainly right now for finances, we are um, growing out of our uh, multi-purpose room and we're having to build a new building. We are getting ready to do our summer outreach here in July and we, you know, God always provides when he, you know, when he calls us to do something, he always provides, but it's always a stressful thing. And another thing would be maybe for our health, you know, um, me included and, you know, especially the, the the women coming out of prison, they have had very bad, you know, very bad food, very bad medical care, very a lot of stress in their lives. And so there's a lot of a lot of health issues. And it's a constant, you know, um, uh, pretty much every one of our women has an autoimmune issue of some sort mm. from their time in prison. And so that's a, it's a constant thing that causes stress in our lives because we do a lot of going back and forth to the hospitals and stuff like that. So we could pray for our health, you can pray for finances, pray for everybody's stress level, and for more people to get involved in helping because we have a small staff and a lot to do. <laughs>
0: Well, well, Hannah. If people would like to uh, watch the film uh, "Until Proven Innocent: The Hannah Overton Story," which tells this story in, in greater detail, I think you're actually in the film. How can people? Yes. How can they view it, or how can they get it?
1: So, at Christmas time, it's usually on Discovery ID, and they can view it, stream it there. But other than that, they have to go onto the website, the Sandale Ministries website, and buy the DVD. That's the only place right now where it's streaming is on Discovery ID. Um, so you, you can buy the DVD through our website. It's www.sindeoministries.com. And Sindeo is S-Y-N-D-E-O.
0: Well, Hannah Overton, thank you so much for, for being available to tell us your story, how God sustained you uh, through all of that. Uh, is there, are there any last words of encouragement you might want to leave us for anyone listening to this that might that might need that?
1: So not everyone is going to have a story where they get falsely accused and put in prison, but everyone experiences hard things in their life. And one thing that I have definitely learned through this is you might not understand God's plan, and He may allow things in your life that you don't understand, but you can always trust His heart.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Hannah Overton, founder of Cindeo Ministries. For more information, go to Cindeo, syndeo S-Y-N-D-E-O, Ministries.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Mike McKinley on what it means to be friends with God and developing deeper fellowship with Him. But we're actually called to,
1: to pray, to love, to worship, to hear God's Word, those kinds of things. And so there's something for us to do in that, in that friendship because God's made us His friends.
0: That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.